Before we start the program, I want to introduce you to an event that's coming up this August. The Loma Linda Institute of Worship is offering a worship leadership certificate to help leaders and pastors take their congregation's worship experience to the next level. This August 9-12 through 12 event will include presenters Randy Roberts, Adriana Pereira, Nicholas Zork, Wayne Buckner, Richard Hickam, and more, and provide the opportunity to perform on stage with Steve Green and the Heritage Singers. Come sing, pray, write new music, share testimonies and resources, and grow together with like-minded worship leaders from across the world. Go to LLIW.net to register. Welcome to the Loma Linda University Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you will be blessed by the message. Friends, that really is what it's about. And I covet that relationship, that experience for every single one of you. That's why we're here. So last week, three friends came up and received gifts. Right, Karen? (laughs) We were talking about the fact that putting our spiritual gifts to use is more than just putting our spiritual gifts to use. It's living in readiness for the coming of Christ. That's one of the key elements. So our three friends, like Phil back there, They received gifts with three strings attached. You've got to use them this week, that is, this past week. You've got to include someone else in what you're doing, and you have to capture it on your phone. We're not expecting Hollywood, but we're expecting to be able to see what it is that you did. So I want you to watch what our three friends did this past week. I woke up this morning and started brainstorming who could I share this with. And I thought of a sweet, wonderful young couple who is going through a rough patch. And um, they're very near and dear to my heart. So I gave her a call this morning and I said, hey, I've got this gift card that we could share that was gifted to me from the church. And I was wondering if there's anything you need, um, anything you want to go shopping for or go to dinner. Um, And she said, well, actually, I was just about to place an order on Instacart for our groceries this month, and I was going to have to put it on my credit card, so that would be wonderful. I said, okay, let's go spend this handy-dandy gift card on your groceries. So I just got a text from her. She said, thank you so much for choosing us to help out. I really am amazed that God has had you think of us right when times got tough and after we had been doing so well for so long. So thanks, Loma Linda University Church. Courtesy of the University Church, not me, (laughs) it's the church. And uh, we're gonna provide the $100 gift card that the store can use at its discretion for assisting people with purchases that uh, can use the the boost. So anyway, um, that's what I'm gonna do now. I'll hand it to Alicia, is that right? Yeah, thank you. Thank you so very much. Now she will be in charge, not my discretion. <laughs> this is a really good uh, gift for people at the yeah. store that uh, they will really appreciate it because we have a lot of customers regularly coming yeah, okay. almost every day. So probably I will surprise them today for this time. Awesome. Mm-hmm. That's so Thank you. Oh, so great. 
So I thought long and hard about what I should do with the gift card, and I decided that I should give it to the Redlands Adventist Academy Jazz Band, which I'm a part of, because every year we don't get a budget to buy new music with, and so this gift card would really help so we can buy more music and keep playing. Beautiful. Thank you so much. To Karen, to Daryl, to Phil, thank you so much for the creativity and the caring. It's deeply appreciated. Now, I'm going to guess that when the three of them less left church last week, there was one question on their minds, one one-word question. And that question was, how? How am I going to put this to use? How am I going to do what they asked me to do at church? And that's the very question we're asking ourselves today. We're together for the fifth time talking about spiritual gifts, and now we come to the question of how. It's really a twofold question. How do I determine what my spiritual gifts are, and how do I put them to use? We're especially going to focus on the first one, but we'll say something about the second as well. So a very quick and easy answer to the how question is to go to our website, luc.org, and on the home page, you will see a link that says Spiritual Gifts Test. Click on that link, follow the instructions, and that will be a very helpful journey toward determining what your spiritual gift set is. And then you can fill out a volunteer form, and that will help you know how to put it into practice. That's an easy answer. However, it may surprise you to know that when Paul wrote to the church in ancient Rome almost 2,000 years ago, he did not say to them, okay, friends, go to www.luc.org and click on the spiritual gifts test link, and you'll find your spiritual Paul didn't say that, surprisingly. But he did say something. And it's what he said that we need to take note of today because that's a much deeper more personal and more spiritually demanding process to be able to answer the how question. So we go to Romans chapter 12. I'm going to start by just saying a word about where this passage is going because we've already discussed that, and today we're going to focus on the first part of the passage. So where is this passage going? It's going to say we are all the body and every single person is a member of the body and every member of the body has something to contribute and what you have to contribute is a spiritual gift and that's how the body grows to maturity. That's where Paul is headed. But before he gets there, he's going to say something about how to discover our spiritual gifts. So let's read the passage, and then we'll go back and focus on the one verse we want to zero in on today. Romans chapter 12, starting in verse 3. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. So that's where Paul is going. 
But on the way, he has said, if you want to know how to find your spiritual gift or your spiritual gift set, you will need to use, you will need to exercise a mixture of three things, of humility, of judgment, and of faith. So let's go back and read that in verse 3. He says, for by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. So he's talking about doing a self-assessment. And that self-assessment needs to include those three ingredients, humility, judgment, and faith. Self-assessments are not easy. Self-assessments aren't easy because we don't really like to look at those parts of ourselves that aren't matured, that we're not particularly proud of, or that we don't like. It's just like not looking your best and saying to someone, don't take a picture of me. We don't want to see that. But he says you're going to need to do a self-assessment even if it is painful. It's like the old story of the old desert nomad in his tent at midnight when he wakes up and he's hungry. He lights the candle beside his bed and spies a bowl of dates. He takes a date and takes a bite out of that sweet succulence, only to look down in the candlelight and see it has a worm in it. It throws that date out of the tent. Gets another date, another bite, another worm. That one's out of the tent. Another date, another bite, another worm. But he's hungry. So he blows out the candle and eats all the dates in the darkness. That's what it likes with self-assessment. I don't want to see those things. So let me just not, let me blow out the candle and not have any light when I look in the mirror. But Paul says, no, I want you to assess yourselves in a spiritually rigorous manner. And that assessment includes humility, judgment, and faith. So notice how, first of all, it includes humility. Verse 3, for by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think of yourself. Humility has to do with how we see ourselves, how we understand ourselves. Paul does not want us to understand ourselves as wretched worms. He just says, don't think of yourself more highly than you should. He wants us to have a fair estimate of ourselves, but he wants it to be a humble one. I don't know for sure who it was that first uttered the words because it seems like a number of different people take credit. All I can tell you is it wasn't me, but I do love the words. The definition of humility that you've heard, it's one worth reminding ourselves of often. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. That's humility. That's what Paul is driving us toward. That's what he wants us to exercise as we're trying to understand who we are spiritually in the sight of God. Be humble. We have a problem with that in our country. Maybe in the world, but I know more about our country. That's what David Brooks, the New York Times columnist, says. He says, we have this magnification of self in America that is affecting much of what we do. 
If you want to know, if you wonder what it is that would cause Brooks to write that, well, he'll give you some, some things to think about. I'm going to give you just a list of what he says is true, and that's why he says these things. When pollsters ask people from around the world to rate themselves on different traits, Americans usually supply the most positive self-ratings. We really like ourselves. Although American students do not perform well on global math tests, they're among the world leaders in having self-confidence about their math abilities. We're not very good at it, but we really like what we're able to do. <laughs> 94% of college professors believe they have above-average teaching skills. Now, I'm not a mathematician, but I don't think it's possible for 94% of the professors to be above average. Or what about this one? 70% of high school students surveyed claim they have above average leadership skills, and only 2% are below average. 2%. A few decades ago, it would have been unthinkable for a baseball player to celebrate himself in the batter's box after hitting a home run. Today, it is routine. Similarly, pop singers wouldn't have composed songs about their own greatness. Now those songs dominate the charts. The number of high school seniors who believe that they are a very important person in the 1950s, 12%. In the 1990s, 80%. American men are especially susceptible to the perils of overconfidence. Men unintentionally drown twice as often as women because men have great faith in their swimming ability, especially after drinking. In short, Brooks concludes, there's abundant evidence to suggest that we have shifted a bit from a culture that emphasized self-effacement, I'm not better than anybody else, but nobody's better than me, to a culture that emphasizes, emphasizes self-expansion. And Paul says, if you're going to find your spiritual gift, you need to exercise a mixture that includes humility. Read this past week, a dentist says to the young patient in his chair, you need a crown. And she says, I know, right? <laughs> Takes a minute. I also read that if you want to know the true estimate of a man, it probably lies somewhere between what his mother thinks of him and what his mother-in-law thinks of him. Somewhere in between those two is probably the true estimate of the man. I love the words of Ellen White when it comes to these matters. Listen to what she says. In choosing men and women for his service, God does not ask whether they possess learning or eloquence or worldly wealth. He asks, do they walk in such humility that I can teach them my way? Can I put my words into their lips? Will they represent me? Do you want to know what your spiritual gift set is? Approach it with humility. Paul says you'll need to exercise a mixture of humility and, secondly, judgment. Humility, judgment, and faith. So we go back to Romans 12, 3. What does he say about this one? He says, for by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment. There are a number of different directions, a number of different nuances which we could follow in the meaning of that word in the original. 
judgment, what you think about yourself, but also does that reflect reality? One of the ways you can best know whether or not it reflects reality is what do those around you say? So if humility is how we see ourselves, judgment is how others see us. In fact, it was a long time ago that I came across the concept somebody shared with me that is precisely true, and that is a call. That is an invitation by God, a call of God on your life to be a pastor, to be a physician, to be a dentist, to be a pilot, to be a writer, to be a teacher. Whatever that call is on your life is best confirmed in community. In community. That means, Mom and Dad, what do you think? Husband, wife, what do you think? The people I know best who know me best, does this match me? The body of Christ where I worship, do you see it in me to such a degree that you would set me aside for this task? How do others see me? Is there a match between what I think my gift and my call is and between that and what they see in me? It's wise to have a little bit of lessened confidence in ourselves. Maybe not quite as much certainty. Maybe willing to hear what others think and say. That's actually underlined in a rather surprising and poignant manner by Tomas Chamorro Permusic, a psychologist, who in the Harvard Business Review writes this, there is no bigger cliche in business psychology than the idea that self-confidence is key to, to, to career success. It is time, he says, to debunk this myth. Self-confidence, that's key to my career success. He says it's time to debunk this myth. In fact, low self-confidence is more likely to make you successful. Just think about that for a moment. In fact, low confidence is more likely to make you successful. After many years of researching and consulting on talent, I've come to the conclusion that self-confidence is helpful only when it's low. Sure, extremely low confidence is not helpful. It inhibits performance by inducing fear, worry, and stress, which drive people to give up sooner or later. But just low enough confidence can help you in the following three ways. Lower self-confidence makes you pay attention to negative feedback and be self-critical. Second, lower self-confidence can motivate you to work harder and prepare more. And third, lower self-confidence reduces the chances of coming across as arrogant or being deluded. In brief, if you are serious about your goals, low enough self-confidence can be your best ally to accomplish them. It is therefore time to debunk the myth. High self-confidence isn't a blessing and low self-confidence is not a curse. In fact, it is the other way around. So, it is good to hear what other people say if we're going to exercise the kind of sober judgment of which Paul writes. We need to know how other people see us. After first service, Dr. Chris Job stopped me right out there in the courtyard. He mentioned a name that some of you will immediately recognize, the name Sandy Koufax kind of the goat of his age in Major League Baseball. Dr. Job said, I talked to Sandy Koufax. He's North, Dr. Job's an orthopedic surgeon. I talked to Sandy Koufax, and he said, I am training pitchers in the minor leagues, the minor leagues. 
Because by the time they get to the major leagues, they know it all. They don't need anything. They don't need me to train them. So I go to the minor leagues. Lowered self-confidence, judgment. I remember listening to a conversation that I really shouldn't have been a part of as I think back on it now. In fact, this week, I couldn't even remember why I was a part of it. Maybe I was just in a place and eavesdropped. But it was a conversation between the theology fa- some of the theology faculty members where I was studying undergraduate theology. And they were talking about us, about the students. And they were talking about the fact that there were some students in the theology program that clearly did not have ministry gifts. They weren't matched. And they were saying, how can we, in a delicate, in a kind manner, Let them know that. And how can we help our students succeed in other areas? There's one student along in there that I happen to know who, (laughs) going into pastor ministry, he didn't like people. I don't like people. No one be around people. (laughs) Okay, well, you know, have have you been to church by any chance? Uh, There are people there. (laughs) People are going to be a lot of your life if this is where you're going. Judgment. Sober judgment, says Paul. So if humility is how we see ourselves, judgment may be how others see us. Both become critical in the process of understanding where we're gifted. But he's not done. It's a mixture, he says. You will have to engage in this mixture of humility, of judgment, and of faith. Go back again, verse 3. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, humility, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment, judgment obviously, in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. Faith. So how does faith play into it? Could it be that it plays into it in this way? This book is filled with, has many examples of people on whom shoulder God placed his hand and said, I have a purpose for you. There's a task I want you to do. There's a calling I want to extend in your life. And those people said, oh, no, 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 no. Not me. You, you must have meant someone else. Have you lately read some of your reading through the Bible with us this year? Wonderful journey. I read again, Moses and his dialogue with God. God says, Moses, I want you to do this. And Moses says, no, 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 I don't want to do that. But Moses, this is what I'm calling you to. I I don't want to do that. I can't do that. But Moses, I I can't speak. Moses, I'm sending air. Oh, don't send him. Please, I don't want to do this. Could it be that faith comes in by allowing us to see how God sees us. If humility is how we see ourselves, if judgment is how others see us, then faith is being able to see how God sees us. I have placed something in you. You may not be aware of it. You may not understand it yet. You may not even be willing to consider it yet. But when you're ready to exercise the degree and the level, the measure of faith I have placed within you, you'll be able to see it. Remember Isaiah? 
I, I would love to be able to respond as Isaiah did, but I'm not even sure Isaiah wanted to respond. Uh, God calls him and he says, here am I, Lord. And I think what he wanted to say is, send Jeremiah. <laughs> and Jeremiah didn't want to do it. No, 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 I don't want to do it. I'm not capable. I can't speak. I'll put my words in your mouth. Oh, no, no. Jeremiah, my call is on you. And, and, and it's like as though he finally says, well, I guess. I mean, at least it rhymes with yes. <laughs> and so that's what God did. Maybe that's the faith we need. The faith to understand that God has woven something into us which we can't understand and at times don't even want to use. But he says, I've given you faith to see and to understand how I see you. I was thinking about this and just pondering the times over the years, more than I probably might wish to admit, waking up early on a Sabbath morning and thinking, the last thing I want to do is go preach. My tank is empty. I'm tired. It's been a rough week. I've been too impatient. I'm not sure I spent enough time with the text. God, is there any way? Any, I mean, maybe today, God, it's the time for the big one. You know, just the earthquake, and then, then I want to have to do it. Something. Please. That feeling. Other times of feeling, this is too great a task. I don't want to follow it. Anita has been so fundamentally important in my life. Those kinds of moments, you know how others see us? God isn't done with you. His calls on your life. Somehow it takes a trembling, shaking faith for most of us at times to be able to grasp how God sees us. It wasn't until yesterday afternoon that I saw that video that we saw just a bit ago. And to think that 30 years ago, teaching a, a whole person care class to PT students, that somehow the Spirit of God was moving in our midst. And that a decade, 15 years later, God would tap two of us on the shoulder, one to say, I want you to come, and the other to say, see, you need to have faith. And now he's an esteemed colleague in our ministry here at this church. It's just amazing what God does. Faith has to be a part of that mixture. You're sitting there today, and you may be tempted to think, I don't have anything. There's nothing special I can offer either this body or Christ's people out in the world that he's still seeking. But there is something there in every single one of you. You notice, I've read it three or four times just this morning. Paul says, to every one of you, I say. It's every single one of us. So what your prayer may need to be is God Increase my faith. 
so that I can actually see me as you see me and recognize that there's something of value, something that you can use. Do you know that there are people sitting here that can change the world for somebody else? For another community, people sitting here today that if you open yourself to God, God will do things that will leave you stunned, thinking, I, I had no part of that. But you did, because God wove that into the fabric of who you are. And that's why Paul writes about the gifts. He wants the body of Christ to know you are gifted it is within you to do something. And so we come to this last time together and say, then how? How do we do it? Well, the simple, quick, easy answer. Go to luc.org and click on the spiritual gifts test and take it. And then fill out a volunteer form. But the much deeper, probing, penetrating answer is to ask yourself some questions. First, having to do with humility. How do I see myself? Do I see myself as a worm? Or do I see myself as the Savior? You're neither. But you need to see yourself truly, realistically, with humility. How do others see me? Are people saying, I see this in you. You're good at that. Have you ever considered God, help me to see how others see me. But most of all, those questions about faith, God, please, would you give me a robust faith? Yes, a faith that accepts what Jesus has done for me without question. But right now, even more, a faith that allows me to see what you see in me. That's how Paul says it happens. The exercise of that mixture of faith and judgment and humility. So I guess that's the end. The only thing left now is, will you act? Gracious God, give us the faith Give us the courage to act. In Jesus' name, amen. Find more podcasts, videos, church events, and how you can support the Loma Linda University Church at LLUC.org.